This recording is a ministry of Grace Bible Church of Pleasant Hill, California. We want to thank you for listening and invite you to visit us each Lord's Day on our campus located at 40 Cleveland Road, Pleasant Hill, California, or at any time at gbcph.org. Ms. Lissell, if you could please stand for the reading of God's Word. If you have a Bible, a copy of God's Word, you can open to Romans chapter 12, and you'll find that on page 948 if you care to use one of the uh, pew Bibles there. Page 948, this is Romans chapter 12. Begin reading at verse 9, and most of our meditation shall be in verse 15, but let me begin reading at verse 9. Romans chapter 12, verse 9. This is the word of the Lord. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, and hold fast to that which is good. Love one another with brotherly affection, Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who who weep. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord shall last forever. Lord, bless your word to our hearts today by the power of your gracious spirit. Amen. Thank you. Well, I received news on Thursday morning that little Leanne had, had died, and it's hard to believe I'm even standing up here saying that. It's at times like this that uh, we experience the reality of the spiritual truth that the church is really one family, it's one, it's one body. Paul says, 1 Corinthians 12, 26, if one member suffers, we all suffer. And it's moments like these that punctuate that, that make it real. Now, I realize that in a church our size, and this is just the first service, that this will affect us to different degrees. We don't all know everyone to that same depth. Uh, But nevertheless, It should impact us. It's what it means to be in a body. And it's it's moments like these also, tragedies like these that can make our minds run wild. Following a a loss of a child or something like this uh, can send our thoughts all over the place, you know. And I know you know that of all people. And it's important to think God's thoughts after him. That's all important. Uh, Times like these questions can arise. uh, Arise about God's character, God's goodness, uh, God's purposes. You know, the why questions. Why? Why this? Why this way? Why them? Why her? 
And what we believe about God becomes the anchor of our souls at times like this. And as some of you received the news, I'm sure at some point in a church like this, and I know, know you very well, at some point your, your mind and your thoughts finally ran towards the sovereignty of God. Maybe you thought about Romans 8, 28, your mind. I know, I don't know how God, but I know you can bring good out of everything to those who love you, those who are called according to your purpose. Maybe your mind ran to Psalm 139. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Maybe your mind ran to Job 121, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord, or Isaiah, my ways are above your ways. I know where my heart went was in uh, Psalm 34, 18, God is near the brokenhearted. Yes, he is. Psalm 46, God is a very present help in times of trouble. Second Corinthians chapter one, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Well, I know that I know you well enough to think that for many of you, somewhere in there, that's where your, your hearts went, your minds went, your thoughts <clears throat> took hold of God and his character, his nature, what is true. Think his thoughts after him, and that's good. It's essential. Um, it brings stability. And I know that's your own mental process that you've been going through and will need to keep going through. But I also want to speak to you this morning on a more horizontal level, not because thinking about that vertical perspective isn't important, it's all important, but because I have confidence that in you, I know you, and I know that many of you will be thinking back, and you ought to be thinking back where we spent the last few months in First Peter, <laughs> and then the book of Ruth. I mean, what do we learn there? What do we learn in First Peter? That Christians aren't immune to suffering. In fact, we learn from 1 Peter, from the, the Apostle Peter, that we are appointed to such things. Of course, Peter was thinking primarily of suffering for the faith, but we said there's greater application there to all our sufferings. And there we saw that he is the God of all grace, and that suffering and pain has purposes. It's never pointless. It's never aimless in the life of a believer. God is purifying our faith and strengthening it and making it all the clearer to us. This is real, that he is real. And then we went from First Peter to the book of Ruth, and there we, we looked at each of those chapters, and what did we see there? We saw the invisible hand of God in his providence leading people through pain to bring about something else. And so, yeah, I'm confident you, you, you know these things, and you can reflect on these things. Um, God is near the brokenhearted, and 
Part of what I want to do today with you is to answer the question, how is he near to the brokenhearted from Romans 12, 15 here? Well, first of all, he's near by way of the Holy Spirit, God the Spirit who indwells each, each Christian. He's near the brokenhearted by way of his word. The word of God is a lamp and a light to our life. But I want to say to you today, and this is my emphasis, that God is near the brokenhearted through you. Yes, through you. You who weep with those who weep. Yes, God is near the brokenhearted through you because he indwells you. Jesus is bodily no longer present here, but Christ dwells in you, the hope of glory. And part of the strength and comfort God gives, he gives to us within the context of genuine Christian fellowship, genuine Christian love that doesn't brush things like this aside, doesn't pretend that things are fine uh, with some sort of platitude, but we can openly talk and mourn such a tragedy. And many of you have done so well. I want to thank you for that. You really have already wept with those who wept. And their family shared that testimony with me. So thank you. This is more of a deepening exhortation to you and encouragement to excel still more. Um, how is God near the brokenhearted? By way of you. Now don't be afraid, some of you. <laughs> some of you are already kind of trembling, thinking, oh no, what's he gonna try and get me to do? <laughs> I don't like to talk about stuff like this. I feel awkward about things like this. I never know what to say when there's something like this that happens. I don't want to be the jerk that said something stupid when something like this happens, right? Now listen, don't be afraid. This brings up a matter that I want to address right there from Romans 12, 15. And that is how do I minister? How do I minister as a Christian to those who grieve like this? to those who face a loss like this. Well, this is what we have here. And I'm confident that many of you want to learn. You want to learn. You want to understand this. You want to grow. You want to, you want to get past. If you're feeling awkwardness, you want to understand, how do I get past awkwardness? Or how do I get past fear? So that I can be a channel of God's grace to other people. Well, at first glance, it seems so simple as to be superficial. What's he saying in verse 15? Be happy with people who are happy and be sad with people who are sad. <laughs> you say, well, how, I mean, is that it? But see, here's the question, and it comes up. Let's be honest. What if I don't feel? What if I don't feel what they're feeling? Well, let me free you from that right now. You can't. <laughs> you cannot feel exactly what they feel, beloved. Their grief is their grief. Their loss and their means of experiencing this will be shaped by their lives, their experiences together, their family, their upbringing, what they've learned, where they are in Christ. You, will, you and I will never feel exactly like others feel. So let that just free you right now. Don't kill your soul. Don't beat yourself up because you think, I don't feel what I think I'm supposed to be feeling. 
That's not your calling. It's not my calling. But there is something we can do. And it's not cheer people up. That's, that's also not your calling. It's not have all the answers to life's biggest questions. It's not that either. What is it? It's, it's in that little conjunction with. Rejoice with, with those who rejoice and mourn. Weep with those who weep. It's with weep. It's what one, uh, one author, Martha Dawn, called years ago, withness. <laughs> Our withness in Christ. So what is Paul teaching us in verse 15? He's saying this, genuine love, Christian love, identifies with, identifies with others' joys and sorrows. Genuine love identifies with others' joys and sorrows. And before we look at a little bit on practical level, how do we do this, I just want to immediately demonstrate to you the value, the, the profit, the benefit, the value of being with, this witness, being with those who suffer, identifying with those who suffer. One author says this, he says, few things bond us together in friendship like sorrow. He says, think, think about your past, and in particular those moments when you experience heights of joy and those moments when you walk through the deep valley of darkness. Now, think of the people who were with you during both of those times. Then he asks, which ones do you remember more? Well, I can tell you whom I remember more, and what I remember more. It was those who were beside me, with me in those dark valley experiences. It was those who were there with me when tears were flowing and couldn't stop. And it was those who were with me when heartbreak was overwhelming and when crisis had come, when loss was overwhelming, yeah. I don't even remember what they said. <laughs> but I remember this. They were with me. <laughs> and that's enough right there, you see. Withness in Christ. In her book, Truly the Community, which is uh, an exposition of Romans 12, she, Marvada Don records one of her own experiences. Let me share it with you. She says, my favorite college professor listened compassionately as I poured out the grief that was ripping apart my life. Finally, in desperation, I cried, whatever can I do with all the pain? It just stays there, a huge lump inside killing me. How can I deal with all the spiritual pain? He took my face in his hands. I don't know, he said softly. I don't know. And I noticed the tears on his cheeks. He didn't give any answers, but I was immensely comforted that afternoon. I hadn't realized before I, I saw his tears how much he cared, and then suddenly I wasn't so terribly alone anymore. 
my teacher entered into my pain so much that he wept with me. She says this helpful withness eased the burden, though nothing could take it away. And it's not our job to take it away. It's simply to be with them, be with each other at that depth, you see. There's a saying that a sorrow shared is but half a trouble. A joy that share is a joy made double. And so this morning, listen, beloved, if you doubt, however you got here today, whatever you thought as this news reached you, if you doubt that you have any capacity to bring comfort to someone who is going through such an unimaginable tragedy such as this, listen, this, this text is for you. Simply be with them. Christ in you, the hope of glory, will be a great comfort to them. You don't need to figure it all out. You're not supposed to cheer them up or have all the answers or look for that perfect phrase. <laughs> weep with those who weep. Share their pain. Identify with them. And I know that many of you have. Again, I thank you for that. Now, why is this the case? In other words, why does this function in this way? Well, there's a reality underlining everything Paul is saying here. In the book of Romans, Romans chapter 12, what, what has Paul done? He's turned a corner from having explained the gospel for 11 chapters. What did Paul write? He told people how they are justified by faith alone, through grace alone, on the merits of Christ alone, that there's no human effort added to being saved by God and forgiven. And then when he comes to Romans chapter 12, he's turned the corner to our response. And so he says, I urge you by the mercies of God, in light of God's grace and love and what he's done for you, uh, hand over your own life to God. Live for him. And he's explaining what it means to respond to God's goodness in our life. And when he got down to verse 9, he said, let love be genuine. This is how we relate to one another. another. Your translation might say, let love be without hypocrisy. And then that little truth, let your love be genuine, needs to be applied to verse 15. Let your love be genuine as you weep with those who weep. Don't pretend you know how they feel. You can't. Don't pretend you have the answers. You don't. Let your love be genuine. And how would our love be genuine to weep with those who weep? Be, be with them as they weep. Mourn with them. Identify with their pain. Bear their burdens with them. Don't try and solve anything. And so there's an underlying a, a reality to here, and that is that we belong to each other because God has placed us into a body, a spiritual unity. When he brought you into uh, the Christian faith, you were not only joined to Christ spiritually, you were joined to one another in a mysterious sort of way. And that's why verse five says what it says, or above, I didn't read it, but he says, though many, though many, and here we are, we are many, we are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. And so that's the spiritual reality that underlies the fact that we, 
We feel some joy when people are rejoicing who are Christians and we can feel their sorrow, even though we may not know them very well. Now many people point out, many commentators point out that it's interesting that Paul begins with joys. Why is that? Probably because that's harder. What, what, what Paul means is this, is that though we have this bond in Christ, though we are new creations in Christ, though we've been born again, there's still the residue of selfishness in every one of us. And it's, it's, it, it can be hard to be happy when others are blessed in ways that you're not. It could be hard to rejoice with those who rejoice when you worked harder and it didn't turn out right for you like it did for them. But I want to spend time there. He moves right into the second half, which is what? Weep. Weep with those who weep. And so Paul is, <clears throat> Paul is rooting this exhortation. Weep based on a reality. You're members of one another. You are one body. What does he say in 1 Corinthians 12? When one member suffers, we all suffer right. You see, the gospel when you came to faith in Christ, the gospel, the power of God's spirit working in your heart gave you a new birth. That new birth, as I said already, made you a new creation. You have spiritual capacities you didn't have before. You're able to love self less and love others more. And you will feel the pain of other people in the body of Christ because of this mysterious spiritual bond, right? And that's the reason you feel what you feel even today. You cannot help yourself but to feel some sorrow for, for other Christians. Why? Because whatever happens to another is happening to you in the body of Christ. Just like when you bump your elbow on the corner of a table, your hand instinctively reaches out because there's a reaction there. There's a sympathy, right? that is created by this bond. Let me give you another illustration. This is from the experiences of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul himself felt what some of us are feeling today. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he describes his own experience as, an, as a pastor, as, a, as an apostle. And he says there in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 27, in the midst of this description of his experience, he says, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Then he says in verse 18, 28, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak? And I am not weak. Who is made to fall? And I am not indignant. Paul says, if there's one believer I hear about in the church over here, I feel that. I'm, I'm bonded to them. I can't be indifferent about it, you see. I weep with those who weep. I feel what they feel. This is called sympathy, right, in English, right? Sympathy comes from uh, two words, right? The Greek sim, together, and pathos, uh, feelings and emotions. We use the word sympathy to refer when one person can feel what others are feeling. Um, 
Now, the degree to which you and I feel sympathy will vary, and I want to make sure you don't, those of you who don't feel as you think you ought to feel, don't leave with a burden today. You see, the degree to which you feel sympathy for others will be affected by your, the depth of your relationship with these people, how well you know these people, how close you are to these people. It'll also be affected by your own background, your own upbringing, and so forth. But there is an inescapable reality here, and that is that this is a mark of a genuine Christian. If you belong to Christ, then you are in his body. If you are in this body, when the elbows bumped, we all feel it to some degree. And so you should. You should feel the grief that this family feels today. But what Paul says here is, has an imperatival Emphasis too. That's why it's translated this way: "Weep with those who weep." In other words, we should feel some sympathy, but then he's 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 exhorting them to act upon these things. Choose to identify with those who suffer and enter into their grief genuinely, with genuine love. And how can we do that? By being with them. With them. Now let me modify that as well so you don't feel bad about this either. <laughs> the withness does not mean that every, three, every one of the 300 plus members of this church needs to show up at their house this afternoon. Paul says, I feel what's happening in your church. And he's not... Geographically, he's not with them, is he? But he is identifying with their suffering, taking time to reflect on it, praying over it, seeking to step into it, seeking to understand it. He doesn't just dismiss it. But some of us can be with, I mean really with, close enough to wipe tears off their cheeks. Yeah, and that's what Paul is saying. Be with these people. Bring Christ to them. Be Christ to them in these moments. You know, we can never fully understand the, um, the pains and suffering of other people and the degree to which they are reacting, how they're reacting. This became a lot more important for me when Dad died a year and a half ago. And then and now coming up, the more deaths that we have in this church family. We can't fully understand it. So don't make that your goal. Let me say again, verse 15 is not calling you and me to match every emotion we encounter in the church. We cannot become the sufferer, but we can be with the sufferer. And that's what he's telling us to do. So when you have, and I don't mean just in this moment here with our dear brother and sister, I mean in any sort of situation in the life of this church, you feel awkward and you know something's happened to this person, this person's hurting, don't feel awkward to turn around and walk away because you don't have that perfect phrase to say to them. Just, just be with them. Just hug them. Just weep with them. Just tell them you love them.
It's the witness that, uh, that matters here. And so this takes a commitment, doesn't it? Let me just briefly go over what it, this is. What does this require from us? Time. Time. We cannot know and share in another person's grief or pain without spending time listening. Spending time listening. Not solving, not rearranging, not here's the book you need. Here's the recording you should listen to. Listening, spending time. And there's so much in our culture, of course, that militates against this, you know. Time is at a premium for most of us. We rush around and most of our communication is now being reduced to, you know, 86 characters or 22 characters or... To be with those who weep is gonna take time from you. Um, spending time. Someone said once, we can't mourn hurriedly. <laughs> we can't rush through pain. So we leave each other the room that we need. Time, what else is it gonna take? Is it gonna take a, it's gonna take a safe place, a safe environment. Boy, I felt this. Absolutely. The church, the Christian family must be a safe environment for sufferers, for mourners. Mourners and sufferers must see and be convinced that their grief has now become our grief. Therefore what? Therefore they can weep openly in your presence. Therefore they can wail in your presence. Therefore they can ask questions and make statements that Maybe they aren't clear about right now in your presence. Why? Because they're safe. Because their grief is your grief, you know. For me, it's a little different. My life's a public life, right? The glass house. So when, when Dad died, I had to be here. But I felt safe enough to weep in front of you. Yeah, saying something, so I'm grateful. But that needs to remain like that, and it needs to be more like that. People need to understand that you help them in their grief by grieving with them, and they're safe to grieve in your presence. You don't think less of them. You don't say or think, it's about time you should just get over this. Shouldn't you move past this by now? No. And you know what, this often happens best not on a gathering like this, though praise God we can be here together and you amaze us. You are blessing us by being here. You're bringing God's grace to us by just sitting there knowing what you've experienced. Thank you. This doesn't happen as well in a group this size, but it happens most often in smaller groups of clusters of Christian relationships, right? Uh, it, for example, in our community groups, or maybe you have some fellowship group of believers where you're tight, you're uh, together, or you, you get together in smaller Bible studies. But for this, for this to happen effectively, let me say this because our community groups are about to kick off for the fall, and I wanna just say this now, that, that smaller groups of Christians like our community groups tend to, tend to have fellowship or gather together on two different levels. 
And the first level I'll call the level of the ideal, meaning you gather together and you're talking about what God reveals, what God is like, what he wants from us, what we're striving towards. In fact, we sing songs that are really beyond where we really are sometimes. It's the ideal, so we're talking and learning. But then there's the other level, which is that reality. Down here is the level of life. And what is that? The truth is we are not all what we ought to be. The truth is we, we're all fallen creatures still. We all struggle. We, no one is where the text says we ought to be. We're fallible, and we live in a fallen world. The truth is there's pain in this world. There's loss in this world. There's hardship in this world. There's injustice in this world. And so if you want to weep with those who weep, then we need to have fellowship that is on both levels. The ideal level, yes, we want to follow Christ. Yes, this is what he says about it means to be a husband. This is what he says of what it means to be a woman of God. Yes, yes, yes. But down here is what? This is where I'm at. This is what's real. I'm not there yet. I had a struggle this week. Or this is what happened to me, you see. So I'm urging community group leaders, you think back on this day, you get together in your community groups, you get going, two levels. Two levels. It requires being not only taking time to listening, but to be a good listener, right? Quick to listen, slow to speak. (laughs) Yeah, and this is one of those times when we should really speak less Listen more. That's it. Let them take the lead, right? Of course, if you're invited to say something, well, then go ahead. But this is a time to let grieving people grieve. And sometimes when we grieve, and I know this happens to me, is you, you process things out loud. You process them out loud. You start saying things. And, you, and when, when grieving people start processing out loud, you know what? They may say something that's not biblically accurate. And you know what? That's, you're going to have to just let that go by. <laughs> Why? Because you're, you're not there to correct. Not initially, right? You remember what happened to that man named Job and his friends? Well, if you go back and you read the book of Job, they were very helpful for the first seven days. Why? Because they shut their mouths. They said nothing to Job for seven days and just wept with him. It's when Job started lamenting and, and, and th- thinking out loud about God, they just couldn't resist. They had to correct him, you know. And that, that's what brought it all down. So if you're going to be a Job's friend, be the first seven days Job friend. <laughs> and let people process their pain out loud and as they struggle with what's this, what these things and how does it mean, what, what about this? But if they invite the truth, then you give them the truth and, and help them that way. Withness. Withness. That's, that's just what I want you to take with you today. Withness in Christ. The story's told about a little boy with a big heart. 
His next door neighbor was an older gentleman whose wife had recently died. When the youngster saw the older man crying, he climbed onto his lap and simply sat there. Later, his, mo his mother asked the boy what he had said to the saddened neighbor. Nothing, the child replied. I just helped him cry. I th I th I'm confident every one of you could do that. Maybe not get on people's laps, but... But do what? Just weep. Just recognize this is a fallen world. Paul says in, in Romans chapter 8, the whole creation is groaning, waiting for the new creation we sang about. That we groan, waiting for our bodies to be fully redeemed because there's so much pain. But God has promised to do what? to wipe away the tears. That God who has the power to speak and bring all things into existence, the God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead, that God has told us that in the resurrection of Christ, we see what? We see the foretaste, the very first fruits of a coming resurrection, a new creation, a new heavens, a new earth. It's then that tears will be wiped away. It's then that death is no more. But if you're a Christian, you understand now what? That the resurrection of Jesus Christ is to you. It's God's word to you of what he's going to do in you in the future. And that already you have that first fruits of that spiritual aspect of resurrection. Why? Because he's made you a new creation spiritually to some degree. You have been raised with God, with Christ, to a new kind of life. And that's why, that's why when you just sit with someone who's weeping, Christ in you is Christ to them. And the Lord Jesus, who is our our merciful high priest who has sympathy for each and every one of us from what we suffer, he sends you and me. He sends you and me to be his hands, his feet, his ears, his eyes, and his mouth. That's it. When you are with one another in these hard times, you are incarnating the Lord Jesus Christ's love towards others. Don't devalue that. Don't think, I can't do it. I can't say it. I don't know what. Be with them. Suffer with them. And sudden deaths like this of a one and a half year old little girl should remind every one of us here, what? You're not guaranteed tomorrow. could all change in a wisp. That's why scripture says it's better to be in the house of mourning than a house of feasting. Why? Because this, death, is the end of everyone. And the living take it to heart. Time is short. Time is short. We sang a song, right? Christ our hope in life and death. Is he your hope? Have you given yourself to him who rose from the dead? Or are you carrying on 
marginalizing you. You may not have tomorrow. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. May God have mercy on us all.